prayer isn't just given to foster a deeper closeness with God. This prayer is actually given to reshape everything about our lives. This is Jesus saying, this is what you were made for. This is the heart of the Father. This is what you are being pulled into. And what we're seeing is it's a, it's a vast invitation to reshape and reorient all of life. There's an article that came out the other week on ESPN about Kirby Smart and his transition to coaching at UGA. And so he's been here for uh, seven years. And at the beginning of his tenure here, he wanted to come in and establish a certain kind of culture amongst the football players and amongst the staff. And so towards the end of some of the first scrimmages and before the first game, he, he gathered the team together and he showed them uh, two different movies to inspire and give them a vision for the kind of people that he wants them to be. And, and you're thinking, okay, maybe uh, this is Rocky, maybe this is Hoosiers, maybe this is like return, uh, Remember the Titans. Uh, but the two movies that he chose were... Uh, were Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. See, so you've got Jason with his hockey mask and his machete, and you've got Freddy Krueger with his hat and with knives coming out of his fingers. So these are, these are classic 80s horror movies. And, and when people asked him, well, you know, why did you choose those particular movies? He said in his own words, this is who we want them to be. We want them to be scary. Just like the guy in the mask, you can't kill him. He keeps coming back. And as you, soon as you do kill him, well, here comes the sequel, which there's a lot of sequels. <laughs> That's him looking at this team and saying, this is who I want you to be. Casting a vision for a certain kind of people. That's great for a football team, but what about, what about for a church? <laughs> um, I want you to think about this prayer not just as Jesus saying, here's how you can be close with the Father, but as Jesus saying, this is the kind of people that you're called to be. This is what the heart of the Father is about. And this is what you were made for. And what we're going to see is that this is all about being a part of God's work to bring hope and healing to this world. And so what we're going to do over the next seven weeks is take this short prayer, phrase by phrase, and focus on what it means, not only in deepening our own faith, but also in reshaping everything about how we live. And so this morning, we're beginning with these short words, our Father in heaven. And there is a reason why Jesus starts with this phrase and with these words, because if we miss this, everything else about our praying Everything else about our living is going to be off. And so in these opening words are two messages that we want to be crystal clear on. And the two messages are simply this. Jesus is telling us this is who God is for you and this is who you are to be for one another. And we're going to explore what exactly he means in those, but this is who God is for you and this is who you are to one another. So first, this is who God is for you. So in his book, Return of the Prodigal, Henry Nowen, he shares a story about the first time he saw that painting that I was 
showing the kids. He was, he was at a friend's office, and his friend just noticed him staring at this painting. Uh, and his friend asked him, he said, do, do you like it? And Nowen's response was, it's beautiful. It makes me want to cry and laugh at the same time. I can't tell you what I feel as I look at it, but it touches me deeply. And he was so struck by his experience with this painting that he actually went to St. Petersburg Museum where the original is held, and he would just sit there for hours just looking at this painting and letting it soak in. And later in reflecting on that experience, he would say the painting contained not only the heart of the story that God wants me to tell, but also the heart of the story that I want to tell to God and to God's people. All of the gospel is there. All of my life is there. The painting has become a mysterious window through which I can step into the kingdom of God. The story of the prodigal son is the story of a God who goes searching for me and who does not rest until he has found me. The reason why Jesus, in starting here with this simple phrase, our Father in heaven, is because he knows that how we relate to God is going to shape everything about how we live in life. And when you think about it, there are many different approaches that Jesus could take in teaching us how to address God. Matt, in his prayer, mentioned a few of these different titles that God has. Everything from from creator and king. But here, Jesus teaches something deeply personal. He focuses on a close family relationship. And so he teaches us here at the beginning that this this is the heart of God. If you want to shuck it down to where God is saying, this is This is really who I am for you at the very core of it. This is what Jesus says. This is where you should look. He is our good and perfect and faithful Father, and we are His loved and secure children. But even as we say that, um, the idea of God being a Father doesn't necessarily bring a great amount of comfort. Some of us in here come with uh, some significant Uh, difficulties or baggage or wounds from that relationship with our Father that did not reflect God's heart in a very clear way. I think about Andre Agassi, his autobiography, Open, where he he shares about the difficult relationship he had with his his own father. And so he was was driven hard from an early age, from, from four or five, to be the best tennis player in the world. And this, this drivenness by his father turned out incredibly great for Agassiz's tennis career. He's one of the best tennis players ever. But, but it had devastating impact on his relationship with his own father. And so later in his life, one of, one of his friends is a pastor named JP, and he's trying to, he, he's trying to help Agassiz see how God is very different than his father. And so Agassiz reflects on it like this. He says, I talk about my father to my friend, about all the yelling, the pressure, the rage, the abandonment. And JP gets a funny look on his face and he says, you do realize, don't you, that God isn't anything like your father? You do know that, don't you? 
God is the opposite of your father. He's not mad at you all the time. He isn't yelling in your ear, harping on your imperfections. The voice that you hear all the time, that angry voice, that's not God. That's your father. In Agassiz, he says, I turn to him, do me a favor, say that again. He does so word for word. Say it once more. Um, it's easy for us to, to be confused, even as Christians who, who have been a part of, uh, of God's family for a long time. It's easy for us to get confused about who God is and for, for his heart and his mind and his purposes to become incredibly distorted. I think about my own life. I've been in, in ministry for almost 20 years now, and my job is to reflect on who God is and to tell others and remind them. And yet, even in my own life, it's, it is a struggle day after day, week after week. Uh, this week, I've been thinking a lot about uh, how it's a lot like the sun. So uh, you, you go outside today, there's not many clouds. And so we have this wonderful, clear picture of the sun, its brightness, its beauty. You can feel its warmth. It's all there. But there's other days recently we've experienced where you cannot see the sun. You walk out, it's cloudy, it's raining. You don't feel its warmth, you don't see its light. But the reality is the sun is still there. It has not changed at all. It's still bright, it's still powerful, it's still good, it's still beautiful. But our perception of it can waver day after day. Um, if you have a hard time seeing that, just go to the Psalms. It, you will see a heart-level wrestling with this. I think about Psalm 13. How long will you forget about me? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Or Psalm 22. Why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you just given up on me all of a sudden? This is, God is not unaware or indifferent to this struggle. When you think about the gift of God's Spirit to us, there are many beautiful benefits that come with God's Spirit living inside of us and the work that that Spirit does. But one of the key works we are told of God's Spirit inside of us is to convince us that we are really His children and to remind us of what that means. We read this earlier in the Assurance of Grace. God has not given us a spirit of slavery. He's not like Pharaoh, enslaving us that leads to fear, but it's a spirit of adoptions by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Think about what it means to bear witness. The, the Spirit inside of us is always saying, this is what's true about you. Because we tend to forget it. It gets cloudy. Life gets difficult and challenging. And these realities become blurry to us. And so again and again, the Spirit, the Father, the Son are working together to press this reality deeper into our souls. So that Jesus can say in His own prayer from John 17, Father, You have loved them even as You've loved Me. What Jesus is doing is pulling us in to this special relationship He has with the Father. That's why it talks about us sharing in His sonship. He's sharing His identity with us. He's sharing all the benefits, all His rights and privileges. He's, he's saying it's not just me and the Father, it's us and the Father. 
That's at the heart of the gospel that we're being pulled into, which is why John can say, one of Jesus' disciples, how great is the love that the Father has given us, that we should be called His children. Um, If we don't start here with a clear grasp of God as our Father, everything else is going to be off. Think about other things that we are going to cover in this prayer. If you have a distorted view of God, then why would you pray that His kingdom would come if He's not really that good? If your view of God is twisted and warped, why would you trust that He would give you your daily bread? Why would you trust that He would actually forgive you? Why would you trust that He would deliver you? Jesus starts here to ground us in this reality. This past week, um, as I've been thinking about this, I've, I've just, honestly, I've just been anxious a lot. A variety of reasons for that. And so my prayers have, have been a lot of like, God, help me, help me, help me, help like just, just kind of like there's fires everywhere just trying to put out lots of, lots of different things. And I've, I've sensed God slowing me down to say, okay, before you, you get to these anxious prayers, just sit in this reality of who I am for you. Like, I'm, I'm here. I've got this. So what does it look like to, to not pray out of kind of an orphan anxiety, but to pray out of a secure, adopted, beloved child? And so that's where, um, that's where we begin with, with who God is for us. But here we, we realize that it's not just who God is for us that Jesus starts us with, but it's, it's who we are to be also for one another. The heartbeat of the Christian life is not I. The heartbeat of the Christian life is we. Not my Father, but our Father. Not my daily bread, but our daily bread. Not my sins, but our sins. Not deliver me, but deliver us. Um, The movie Backdraft focuses on a group of firefighters in Chicago, and they find themselves working against this serial arsonist, and so they're, they're putting out just extra fires night after night, risking their lives to save other lives. And, and it's, it's dangerous work, but they don't do it alone. They, they do it together. And throughout the movie, there's this, this phrase that gets repeated, and it goes like this. It goes, you go, we go. Um, and what it means is, is we're in this together, for better or for worse. And so there's this powerful scene towards the end of the movie where two of them, one of them is, is, is hanging on for, for dear life, uh, and the other one is, is hanging on to his hand. And the guy below keeps saying, just let me go, let me go, let me go. And he looks down at him and he he says, you go, we go. He lets go. Um, The Christian life is is a you go, we go. there's There's a togetherness that is at the very heart of what God is pulling us into. Uh, It's so easy for us to to operate as only children. But, but we are children that have siblings, lots of them, that we are called to, to share life with. We're brothers and sisters loved by the same Father, which is one of the reasons why in the Bible there's so much written about who we are to be for one another. 
Love one another, honor one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, admonish one another, welcome one another, pray for one another. Our lives are to be so knit together that we're told that, that we are to weep those who weep and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We should be able to say to one another, your joy is my joy. Your pain is my pain and, and really mean it. Um, but if, if you have siblings, you know that life in a family is incredibly beautiful and is incredibly difficult. It is much easier to love strangers often than it is to love our own family. And so we shouldn't be surprised when, when we try to embody this and we find out it's difficult, that other people are hurting us, sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose, and we are hurting others, sometimes accidentally and sometimes on purpose. And it's easy just to, to move away and to become cynical and to give up. But Jesus shows us the way forward that we are to pray with and for one another. This is the way. We are to pray with and we are to pray for one another. A couple of questions to help you think about what this might mean for you. Do, do you know others and do we know one another well enough to know how we should pray? Do we have any type of plan or structure set in place so that we are consistently praying for one another, not just for, for one or two or three people, but building it out so that more are pulled in. Um, is there a depth to what we are praying? Do we know the Scriptures well enough to know what we ought to actually pray for others? Do our prayers kind of boil down to just make them feel better? Scripture gives us such a richness and depth to what God's heart is for others, and are we praying that into others' lives? And then finally, do we, do we just care enough? Does it matter enough that we actually pray for others? And are we joining together with brothers and sisters to pray? Um, I, I, I've learned over the years, being a pastor, that uh, praying out loud in group setting, many find that deeply uncomfortable. And it's the last thing they want to do. But there, there is something to praying out loud with brothers and sisters, even if it's a spouse, with your children, with those uh, gathering. Some of the richest times I've had with friends have been just us just going back and forth and just praying, trying to align our hearts with, with God's yard. It, it deepens. It deepens friendships and relationships in a way that, that nothing else can. But here... I'm. I'm going to land the plane with this. Um, we, as we try to pray with and for others and care for one another, we are going to stumble and struggle in our love for one another. But there is one who does not and will not struggle in his love for us. Even though we might be difficult and challenging in God's eyes, his love is, as the scriptures say, as high as the heavens are above the earth which is why we keep coming back to these simple phrases, our Father. I think about going back to the, the scene in Backdraft where 
Uh, the two are together, and there is a sense of, of you go, we go. And as I think about Jesus on the cross and what that means, um, that's, that's Jesus saying, I'm going to go so that you can stay. I'm going to give my life that you might have life. That's at the heart of the gospel, which is good news that is meant to be received with open hands, with open hearts, not, as, not in something that we can earn, that we can deserve, that we can merit, but it's receiving a gift that, that God has given us. Um, uh, most weeks here, I wear these special socks that say best dad ever. Um, so if you're looking as a dad for second and third and fourth place, it's all available. First place is, is taken. Um, but even as I wear those, I'm, I'm, I realize the ways I fall short as a dad, shortcomings and failures. And one of my, one of my greatest prayers for my boys is that they would know how much greater God's love as a father is than my own. Um, I do want my life to be a clear reflection of it, but my prayer also is that I would be just a small glimmer of something so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more beautiful, and for them to live and for us to live out of that secure confidence that he is good and that he is for us, which is why we pray our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you've pulled us into something so beautiful, something so rich, so good, so life-giving. Lord, as we, um, as we stray away from this hope, as we get it, as it gets cloudy, would you remind us, would your spirit continue to bear witness and confirm to us who we are to you and who we are to one another and help us to love as you have loved us. In the name of your Son, given so freely, we pray. Amen.